In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I used to be so very concerned. Am I one of God's elect? Just as it says, few are chosen. Few. Many are called, but few are chosen. It is a sad truth, but it is also a divine truth. Consider the great masses of people in this world. Then consider the few that are elect. Great is the number of people who are called by the gospel, who are offered the free gift of salvation, but few are the people that are chosen. Today, we ask the great question, why? What is the cause that the few chosen are the few? The few that shall inherit eternal life. There are many churches that have adopted the principles of Calvin. Presbyterian, Reformed, and even some Baptist churches. They say this, that God has foreordained the majority of mankind to eternal death. And for those people, Christ did not shed his blood. They are not called by the gospel. God does not mean to save them even if they appear to be true Christians in the sight of God, they are not. It is as if God passes by them. His grace is not for them. In the writings of Calvin, God withholds grace from the damned. Furthermore, the saved and the damned were predestined to heaven and to hell, even before the foundation of the world was laid. So says the writings of the Presbyterian Church. What a joyless theory. Zero comfort. What is the foundation of this theory in the Bible? None. Calvin himself admits that it is a, quote, horrible decree, end quote. God does not desire the sinner's death. Thus saith the Lord in the days of the Old Testament, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Also, thus saith the Lord in our gospel today. The cause and the reason that few are chosen. The cause is not to be sought out in God's will, but elsewhere. But it does say few are chosen. There is a predestination to glory. All that reach and enter heaven, were ordained to eternal life. 
their predestination is a cause also of their salvation. But there is no predestination to eternal woe, to eternal death. There is no decree of the one true God that he has selected anyone for misery in hell. Such a decree does not exist. The true cause why few are chosen simply cannot be sought out in God. Our gospel shows this in a few points, that the fault does not lie upon God. The first point is this. God has, ever since eternity, loved all mankind and redeemed them all through his beloved Son. We read in verse 2 of our gospel, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Who is this king? Who is his son? The king is God the Father. His son is the eternal son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. And what is the occasion? A wedding. A marriage. The union begins in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The Son of God's coming into the flesh. His union with our human nature. With the exception of sin, he is like us in every single respect. So what would induce God to send his Son into the world to, to let him become man? It was God's love to the entire human race. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Well, the king in our gospel has a message. A message to be delivered by messengers. When the time of the wedding was coming near, the king's invitation says thus, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Arrangements for the feast are complete. Arrangements for us that include God having his son perform the great work of redemption. His beloved son, incarnate, lived upon this earth, suffered, and died. And while dying on the cross, God's Son called out, It is finished. All of the arrangements for the great feast were completed. But for whom? For whom did God intend the fruits of Christ's great work? For whom did the Savior live and suffer and die? Not only for the elect, but for all men, women, and children. Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the entire world. Thus saith the Lord, 1 John 2, verse 2. How then can the fault of few are chosen be attributed to God? 
to God who loved all mankind, to God who manifested this love in sending his own son into the world. God's fault. He had his son die for all and redeem them all with his own holy precious blood. God excludes no one. Jesus speaks in the parable. The king sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. Who was it that had already been invited? This was done in the time of the Old Testament. God had chosen his people Israel. They, these were the invited guests. However, we must not think that God excluded the rest of, the, of mankind in the time of the Old Testament. Our Lord performed the greatest of miracles in Israel, led his people, and established them in the geographical center of the populated world and gave them rulers and kings who made known the name of the Lord in distant lands. Why? To urge even the most distant unbeliever, the sojourners, and to join his people Israel, for all of them to join those who are seeking salvation to bring them into the faith. Come to the wedding. Be saved by the coming Messiah. This was, well, a universal call of God's servants. From Adam to Noah. From the patriarchs to the prophets. Until the time was fulfilled and the Messiah appeared. We're told next in the parable, again the king sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. This is the time that Christ had come. Christ had worked out for all mankind, the forgiveness of sins, grace, deliverance from death and hell, righteousness, life, heaven, salvation. These other servants were sent forth to proclaim to the invited guests of the Old Testament, Israel, the Jews, the sojourners. Who were these other servants? The first was John the Baptist. Then there was also 70 disciples whom Christ sent forth to announce to all Judea that the kingdom of God was at hand. Twelve apostles sent on the same errand. And when many invited guests refused to come, the king said to his servants, Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. The apostles went from the Jews to the Gentiles. You see, now every nation is invited. God has the gospel proclaimed to every creature, and it is his will, it is God's deepest desire that all mankind should come to repentance 
and to the knowledge of the truth. How then can it be God's fault that few are chosen? God, who bids every man, woman, and child to come to the marriage of his son and offers unto all forgiveness, life, and salvation. But in our gospel today, God does even more. You see, no one is permitted to attend the wedding feast without having a wedding garment on. The meaning is this. No one can be saved without faith. When God offers to us forgiveness, life, and salvation in Christ, the gift must be accepted by faith. Now, it's true that we cannot, by our own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ our Lord or come to him. But we are not expected to do that ourselves just as is the old custom of a feast like this. In a feast like this, each guest was provided a special garment, which they must wear to the feast. So also, the Lord God provides us with a garment. The Lord God provides us with the means to accept his divine gifts. Faith. Faith is not man's work. Faith is God's work in man. And for those who hear the divine call, they are given the power to believe and therefore the faith to accept these divine gifts. The word of God is so powerful. It produces true faith, without which it is impossible to please God. How can God be blamed that few are chosen? God, who does all things to save all of mankind. For the true cause that few are chosen, we must seek elsewhere. And where do we find it? Only in mankind. According to our gospel, there are only two classes of men that make up the, the great mass of people of those who are damned. Those who reject the call and those who accept it outwardly but not sincerely. Those who simply reject the call are described in verse 3. But they would not come. Who are they? Remember that these are the invited people from the Old Testament. They, the majority of Israel, Judea, and the majority of the unbelievers. Now, patriarchs, prophets, servants of the Lord by the thousands, John the Baptist, 70 disciples, 12 apostles, and so on. All of them urged them to come. They exhorted them to come. But they would not come. They were indifferent. They did not consider it to be worthwhile to even listen to these proclamations of the Lord. Sounds like these days. Why do people not provide for their own immortal soul? Is it because God overlooked them? 
Is it because God neglected to call them? No. Every church building they pass by is a call. Every cross they see is a call. Every word they read, every word they hear that is in reference to the gospel is a call. They are indifferent. A great feast? Who cares? Even though God in his boundless mercy has prepared a feast for them. Perhaps they are too absorbed with other things in this life, the pursuits of wealth, the pursuits of health, the pursuits of happiness, pursuits of honor, that they pay no attention whatsoever to God's constant call and to the welfare of their own immortal souls. I could give you my own first-hand account of indifference toward the gospel. But the gospel, in verse 5, says it for us. They paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, something else that seemed to be a higher priority. Now, those are the indifferent ones, but on the other hand, they could also be outspoken enemies of the divine truth, denouncers of Christianity. There are those who maliciously do all the harm that they can, not out in the open, mostly behind closed doors, to persecute ministers of the gospel. Our gospel describes these people the remnant of those invited from the Old Testament, those who were the first to be invited to the wedding feast, well, some of them seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Well, as you already know, after Christ was put to death, the Jews persecuted the disciples of the Lord and shed the blood of all whom they could lay their hands on. First victim was the martyr Stephen. Stoned to death. How would this bloodshed fare at the hands of our avenging God? Verse 7. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Just as it happened in the year 70. 70 AD, a Roman army occupied Jerusalem, slain to death many Jews, and burned and tore down the city and its temple. The Lord, oftentimes, avenges the blood of the persecuted, avenges the blood of the slain, by terrible judgments, judgments upon those who are enemies of the Lord's truth, enemies who have scornfully rejected the gospel call. There is one type of person left to consider. Those who accept the call outwardly, but not sincerely. From our gospel, the king's servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests, filled with guests, both bad and good. Some accept the invite and are gathered into the assembly of those who attend the Feast of the Lamb. 
but some are bad. Not converted, remaining in their, in their sins, lacking sincerity, lacking true repentance. The bad are those who profess the faith with their mouths and yet deny the Lord in their hearts. Those who have no intention whatsoever of living a Christian life according to God's good and wise words. Whose fault is it that these are not among the few chosen, though outwardly are counted with them? It's their own fault. There's no sincerity within them. And they, by their desire, remain bad. But they wouldn't call it bad. Some that accept God's call outwardly, but not sincerely, sincerely, are self-righteous. From our gospel, when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now we've heard that the wedding garment is faith. But how many are there among would-be Christians who refuse to put on this garment which God fully offers to them? They consider instead wearing their own garment, their own righteousness. Well, Isaiah speaks of that. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, filthy rags. You see, my friends in Christ, the suitable garment for the wedding feast is provided. Our garment, our faith, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. We have to come down off our pedestals and admit that we are sinners. And we are to believe and to know that it takes the blood of the Son of God to cleanse us from our transgressions. And we rejoice in this fact. In fact, there's no reason to be concerned but concerns come about. And if you are ever concerned, like I once desperately was, if you're ever concerned, if you are or are not one of the few chosen, I want to ask you one thing. Why are you concerned? I'll tell you why you're concerned. Because you believe what God says about the few chosen. You believe what God says. You know what that means? You've received the gift of faith. You're already dressed in the wedding garment. Welcome to the feast. Amen.